Hello, Miami Dolphin fans. Welcome to the same old Dolphin show, now part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Well, Brain, when you're talking about the Miami Dolphins, there is a certain degree of needing to learn how to expect the expected. And I expected the expected. And as a result, I was not terribly surprised when the Dolphins lost to the Detroit Lions today by a score of 32 to 21. It was certainly it was certainly not a stellar performance from the Miami Dolphins and it wasn't really how I would have expected this game to go. But regardless, it is another loss for the Miami Dolphins and another loss for the Miami Dolphins in a game where you really would have expected them I guess not not to say that you expected them, because I told you I expected them to lose, but I guess this was another opportunity for the Miami Dolphins to put down a statement of intent. After winning by the skin of their teeth against the Bears last week, they had an opportunity at home against a subpar Detroit Lions team, a team that was 2-3. and three. They really had an opportunity to say, hey, we're a team that you need to take seriously in the AFC playoff picture. And the way to do that would have been disposing of a team like the Detroit Lions when they come into your home stadium. Instead, what we got was the Miami Dolphins defense putting forth one of the most embarrassing efforts I've seen from a defensive unit in a long time when it comes to a home game. This was a pretty embarrassing performance by the Dolphins defense. They were outclassed in all aspects of the game, at least on that side of the ball. Defensive coordinator Matt Burke just was completely overmatched by Matt Patricia and the entire Detroit Lions organization. It just, it was a bad day at the office for the Miami Dolphins, who now fall to four and three, and, oh, by the way, have a short week before they turn around and have a Thursday night game against the Houston Texans on the road coming up. So on top of the loss and on top of the quick turnaround time, Miami also suffers a number of what appears to be key injuries. Albert Wilson had a what it what has turned out to be uh, a hip injury and his agent Drew Rosenhaus says unfortunately it looks like Albert Wilson's brilliant season is on hold right now so that makes it sound like the Dolphins are going to be without probably their most explosive weapon at least for the next game but I mean by the sounds of it, it seems like it might be a little bit longer than that Kenny Stills exited the game late uh, Jerome Baker left the game late. It is it is a situation here where the Dolphins, who have already been dealing with the injury to Ryan Tannehill, now have a bunch more injuries piling up. They have a short week, a quick turnaround before they go and face the Houston Texans, who, oh, by the way, have won four straight games after starting 0-3. And just suddenly what was... Once where there was a once a lot of optimism about seven days ago, there is now once again that feeling in Miami Dolphin land that the sky is falling and things are falling apart for our football team, not just on the field, but behind the scenes as well. Yeah, I mean, it's and that's what happens when you lose three out of four. And look, you were right. You, you had to kind of expect it. Uh, there's a reason why we call it the same old Dolphins show, and I wasn't surprised by this result. I picked the Dolphins to win. The, the, where I was at was, I know this team is going to disappoint me, but at what point are they going to disappoint me? Are they going to disappoint me at five and two? Or are they going to disappoint me, you know, at four and two? And I thought, look, you've got a home game. You've been playing so well at home. We've heard all week about how this amazing home field advantage and it's by design because the Dolphins sit in the shade and it's like 20 degrees cooler on the Dolphins sideline than the opponent's sideline. And it's like, okay, 
great. If you've got the best home field advantage in the NFL, then you should beat a sub 500 team coming to your house. And they just got smashed. And I don't think this was as disappointing or an, as embarrassing a performance as they had uh, against New England. And granted, I know you, you did qualify it by saying, well, at least at home. I thought that the Dolphins defense looked outcoached and unprepared, but did not give up the way they gave up in the New England game. I thought that they fought hard and they fought tooth and nail to keep Miami in the game, but they were just, it was like they were overmatched from the get-go by a Detroit team that had done their homework and came out and knew exactly where and how to attack this Dolphins defense. And it just didn't seem like the Dolphins had any answer for it. They made no adjustment. And it was just, can somebody come up and make a big play? Or does Detroit shoot themselves in the foot? That was the only thing saving Miami. That was the only thing keeping Detroit from scoring a touchdown every single time they had the ball. And it was just, it was painful to watch. Because we've seen this defense at times look downright dominant and then at times look like one of the worst defenses in the league and it makes me feel like I'm watching a defense where talent is not the problem and if talent is not the problem then the problem is coaching and we have seen this defense under Matt Burke for a couple years now and it's just been it's been the same story uh, it, it, they rarely blitz. They rarely diversify what they do. Um, it's very much a conservative defense that is built on uh, having the front four rush the passer and dropping back in coverage. But the front four has been inconsistent at best. At, at pressuring the passer. And we thought we were coming into this year with, uh, with with possibly an elite pass rush in Robert Quinn and Cameron Wake on either side. And frankly, it's been underwhelming. And even with having four linemen, even rushing four and not blitzing, they're still getting gashed in the passing game. Granted, they've they forced some turnovers with their secondary, but they're still getting gashed over the middle on short to intermediate routes. Their linebackers still cannot cover whether it's a tight end or, or a pass catching back. And then today they just added on to it because they couldn't stop the run at all. And they gave up about 250 yards rushing. And I mean, you're not beating anybody if you're giving up 250 yards rushing, but you're especially putting yourselves in a bad situation when you're giving 250 yards rushing to a team that's not a particularly good running team and a very dangerous passing team. So if you can't stop the run, you can't stop anything. And that's basically what happened. They didn't stop anything. Yeah, it was it was just seemed like they were helpless. And a certain degree of it is is certainly on Matt Burke for for his scheme because he's the one that puts all of that together. But there's also a certain degree of it that has to be on the players. There were a lot of missed tackles in this game by by a lot of different players. Um, there were certainly some guys who came up and made some big plays here and there. And when it comes to making tackles, but. You know, it's one thing when you're put in a bad situation because of a scheme. It's a different thing when you've got players on the field who are paid to make tackles who are not doing it and who are who are fairly consistently missing tackles. So it was certainly disappointing in that regard as well. So just kind of, I guess, I mean, we've already started on the negatives. The defense is sort of is by far and away the negative and that's, I think the biggest takeaway from this game is that the defense is just, there is something wrong with this defense. And if it's not talent, then it's the defensive coordinator and something needs to change because we've now been picked apart by Mitch Trubisky and Matt Stafford, who are both, I mean, granted, Mitch Trubisky is a quarterback that is young and on the up and is still very green, but he has a lot of potential. Matt Stafford is one of those quarterbacks who is 
in the uh, if you're if you're talking about that tier that is above average but not quite elite, that's the Matt Stafford tier, and he certainly took apart the Dolphins' defense without making the kinds of mistakes that. Mitch Trubisky has made, um, that Sam Darnold made against this team, and that Marcus Mariota made against this team. When when the Dolphins go up against a quarterback that is a very good, well, I mean, that is a quarterback that is not mistake prone. You see how easy it is for these teams to pick them apart, and that was certainly disappointing today. So the the sort of disappointing performance from the defense is one of the big negative takeaways. As I mentioned, the other big negative takeaway this week is it has to be the injury situation. This is not a good look here. But And I guess to really sort of add salt into the wound of the injury situation, we don't know what the deal is with Kenny Stills. Hopefully it's not quite as bad as Albert Wilson, but by the sounds of things, it sounds like Albert Wilson is going to be out for some time. But one of the other things, as I mentioned, that is sort of compounding the problem here is that Devontae Parker was ruled inactive for this game. Second straight week that he's been ruled inactive in the seven games he's only played twice. Adam Gase, when asked about it, said that uh, that Parker was inactive because he's not completely healthy yet. But the problem is that we got a statement after the game from Parker's agent. Now, granted, you have to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt because the reports have been coming out that the Dolphins have been very interested in trading Devontae Parker and the rumors uh, you know, that were sort of swirling right before kickoff when we found out that Parker was going to be inactive were that the Dolphins probably had found a trade partner for Devontae Parker, and that was why he was inactive today because they didn't want to risk getting him more injured. But so Gase says he's not injured at all, says he's not, or Gase says he's not healthy. But his agent, James Gould, throws out this enormous statement after the game. He says, I am responding that he is not telling the truth, talking about Gase here. And his decision was an example of poor management and cost the team the best opportunity to win. He continues attacking the health of my client, and this is not acceptable. Parker is not only healthy, but wants to help this team win. And the only real question that should be asked is how does Coach Gase justify his own incompetence? They averaged only 6.1 yards per catch on Sunday. They needed Parker, who is completely healthy and was in full participation all week and in warm-ups this morning. He added, something smells in Miami. This was his public statement. Later, he uh, exclusively said to the Miami Herald, he said, I'm stick, sick to my stomach. I'm tired of watching Coach Gase make these decisions. This was the third game Devontae should have played and didn't. Coach Gase should have made himself inactive. He has taken advantage of a great young man, a terrifically gifted football player with God-given talent and made him a scapegoat. Now, certainly you got to take some of that with a grain of salt because this is Devontae Parker's agent who is trying to make his player sound as good as possible to any of these other teams who might be looking at him. And obviously he's looking at Parker trying to get some kind of new deal next season. And obviously given his injury history and his his output when he's been healthy, um, that's going to be a pretty uphill climb, you would think, for Parker and his agent. But at the same time, it makes you wonder if there isn't more to the story between what we're hearing with Gase and Parker. Is it just a matter of this is a head coach who has lost faith in a player and because we've all heard that Parker has discipline issues, not in that he's breaking the law or misbehaving or being a dirty football player, but that he doesn't have the sort of discipline that you need to be an elite professional athlete, taking care of yourself off of the field and, and, and you know, living a responsible life for an NFL football player. We've heard talks of that. And then again, again having trouble staying healthy this season, it makes you wonder, is there something bubbling up within, underneath the surface? And on top of that, this it just seems like every year there are multiple players where Adam Gase is having problems with them. And so the question is, is this a problem with Devontae Parker or is this a problem with Adam Gase? Can't it be both? I mean, you might, you might be right. It might be both. It could very well be both, I suppose. Yeah, I, the, the thing that I don't understand, and this is where I'm going to side with Dave Parker and his agent, is 
Look, Devontae Parker played last week. There was no report of an injury. He was a full participant in practice all week. There was no news of any setback, and he was made inactive. Look, you want to make him inactive because you don't feel like you know, he can help your team as much as another guy. And you feel like, you know, making him inactive, that's your best chance of winning. I get that. And I can understand that decision. So you come out and you say, you know, it's the did not play coach's decision. Basically you're inactive coach's decision. But if you're not injured for the coach to come out then and say, well, I made him inactive because he's still not healthy. And then he's telling you and his agent is telling you he's not healthy. Well, now there's a disconnect. And now there's a question that Adam Gase has to answer. And it, and this is where I agree with his agent because Adam Gase is making his client – I mean he's making his player look bad by saying that he's injured uh, when he's not. And – Frankly, he's making himself look bad because it it basically looks like he he wants the excuse of, hey, our offense didn't play that great. We were a little bit banged up at receiver. Devontae Parker was injured. That's why I had to make him inactive. But if he wasn't injured, then, you know, he should have been at your disposal. So I don't really understand. I'm not going to sit here and say that if Devontae Parker is healthy, they end up winning this game. Frankly, I don't think the the passing game or Brock Osweiler or really anything that the offense did in this game was all that terrible. This was more a game where where the defense couldn't get anything going. And, and while the offense wasn't consistent, you know, and, and struggled to get things going in stretches and it was like they'd have a big play here, a big play there, but couldn't really get any flow going until they kind of gotten – catch-up mode and it was like you know Brock Osweiler was passing every day down um you know that's way this offense has been all year this offense is not an offense that has had much flow or consistency the majority of the season but the last two weeks under Brock Osweiler uh they've actually performed better uh, not just last week but this week I mean six for 11 on third downs Osweiler was was had an efficient game, uh, no no turnovers, decent completion percentage. Now y- you could say like, oh, yards per completion was was not high, but that's nothing new for this team. Uh, so I like, I don't think that the offense was, you know, damaged really by by Devonte Parker not playing, and that's where I you know I understand if if Adam Gay says, look. I just don't feel like he's one of the top four or five receivers on the team. And if he feels like fine, if he feels I look, I cannot trust this guy when, whenever I, I want to, I call a play for this guy and we throw it. He either makes a mistake on the route or he gives up on the play and it causes bad things. I get that, but then call it what it is. Don't say, Oh, I didn't play him because he's injured. That is, I suppose the issue here and it's the question of whether Adam Gase is in fact a good man manager because that's another skill that is involved in the head coaching game. Now, now <laughs> I the, thought you were just going to attack his character. He's not a good man. No, 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 no. He's he's I'm sure Adam Gase is is a fine human being, but the question is whether or not Are he you is, sure on that? I I I can't speak to it personally. I've never met the man, but you know, I'm going to I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's a good person. But when it comes to managing his players, he's had problems in each of the, in each of his seasons here. And now I I I had had it argued that all of his problems have been with Joe Philbin guys, not guys that he has brought in, guys that were here before him. And so that's part of his attempting to change the culture. He hasn't had any problems with his guys. But I don't know. It just seems strange to me. And we made a comment about it on this show uh, uh, several weeks ago that 
when there's constantly the, when you're constantly having those kinds of problems, you're constantly talking about trying to change the culture and you're constantly falling out with people, what's the common denominator? In this case, the common denominator is Adam Gase, but again, in in the defense of that other argument, it is a common denominator that all of these guys predated Adam Gase and he didn't choose them. But maybe that's just an excuse. But how long does it take to is it going to take to change the culture? Because that's that's where I'm confused, because. After year one, when they turned the season around and went 10 and six and made the playoffs, everybody said the culture had changed. It, it was it was a massive culture change, just like Tony Sperano came in after Cam Cameron. Massive culture change. And then. The following year, six and ten, all these problems, guys not being prepared, uh, guy goes AWOL, guy gets traded because he's not getting along with the head coach. You almost do the same thing with Jarvis Landry. All these guys, you, you release uh, Maxwell, you know, all, all these issues. And and you said, well, uh, maybe the culture hasn't quite been changed, but he's still changing it. Well, now we're in year three and it's the same damn thing it's the same thing and it's just you know what i think i think i think it's you as a coach you as a coach your job is to get everybody on the right page however you have to do it you you have to be a communicator you have to get that buy-in and if you can't get that buy-in at least keep it in house because i'm i'm pretty sure that the vast majority of teams have some guys that are not buying in, but not every team every single year at multiple times throughout the year have guys that are speaking out against the coach, have the coach speaking out against the players and have guys who are talented guys that are good enough to be on just about any NFL roster being released, uh, being made inactive and having this constant headbutting situation going on. It looks to me like Adam Gase is maybe he's changed the culture a bit, but he's created a culture of contempt and it's not helping. It it certainly isn't helping. And now the Dolphins find themselves in a very awkward spot because if in fact the Dolphins have not found a suitor for Devontae Parker and had basically a deal agreed to in principle that was going to be announced after this game. If that is, if that hasn't happened, the Dolphins find themselves now where they are without, it sounds like they're going to be without their biggest, you know, playmaking wide receiver in Albert Wilson. And they might also find themselves without Kenny Stills, at least for this upcoming game in Houston. So what do you do with Devontae Parker in this situation? Do you just proceed with, if if it's, if the fallout is really that bad and they, the relationship is fractured to the point that there's no repairing it, I think that even in this situation, the Dolphins have to do something else. Maybe they bring in a Leonte Carew or they bring in an Isaiah Ford, somebody like that to fill the space instead of bringing Devontae Parker in. Or do you say, we need you, Devontae. I'm sorry. We've had this, we've had this confrontation and we need to sort of make amends and find a way to make this work for both parties because we find ourselves now in a place of need. I, I'm going to say frankly that I think, I think based on who Adam Gase has proven himself to be, I can't see him backing down in this situation. If he's got something against Devontae Parker and he has decided he wants to wash his hands of Devontae Parker, I think the more likely thing is the Dolphins are going to bring in wide receivers from somewhere else. They could bring in a guy like Des Bryant, I don't think is an Adam Gase kind of guy, but they're going to find some free agent wide receiver. They'll bring in a Leonte Carew. They'll bring in an Isaiah Ford to, to fill the, to fill the ranks Instead of, you know, trying to patch things up with Devontae Parker, because it just seems to me like that ship has sailed, particularly after this sort of war of worlds, war of the words after the game. Look, if Devontae Parker is healthy, you play him. It's it's that simple. If he's healthy, you play him. But what if you're shopping shopping him? 
If you're shopping, well, if you're him, shopping him, you haven't gotten a good deal from him for him. You're not going to suddenly get a good deal for him. Well, apparently the Dolphins so you are might asking. As well, play. Apparently the Dolphins are asking a third round draft pick, and and I tweeted before the game. If the Dolphins get a third round draft pick for Devontae Parker, they should take the money and run. Right, and they haven't, <laughs> based on the you know and the evidence that he's still on the team. If they're shopping him for a third round pick and he's still on the team, then they haven't gotten a third round pick for him. So now you're in a spot where your season, look, you're four and three. Your season's not over by any stretch. You're still in relatively good shape if you right the ship. You've got two winnable games. Granted, this week coming up looks I see at best, considering the way the team has played over the last few weeks, considering a short week, it's a road game and Houston has won four in a row, but it's not, you know, a foregone conclusion that they're going to lose that game. It's a winnable game. And then you get a home game against the Jets. I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture. I'm just saying your season is not over. Your season is still in relatively good shape and you've got an opportunity now to right the ship. And Devontae Parker now has an opportunity to get some playing time and prove himself. If Devontae Parker is any kind of professional, he's going to make the most of this opportunity. If the Dolphins are trying to win games, it only makes sense to play your to play a guy who's clearly, I mean, if Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson aren't playing, then you're going in there with Amandola, uh, Jakeem Grant, and who? I mean, Kenyon if it's not Drake, Devontae Kenyon Parker, Drake in the slot today was the solution. Okay, well, that's fine. But, I mean, it, it would still make sense to me that Devontae Parker, a guy who knows the offense, who has talent, if he's healthy, he there is certainly a role for him if Albert Wilson and Kenny Stills are out. And so it doesn't make sense to not play him, and it doesn't make sense to release him. It's cutting off your nose to spite your face if they do that. And it's, you know, we've seen this whole argument of addition by subtraction, but at some point, you know, you subtract, you subtract, you subtract, you're left with nothing. And you can't, you've got to find a way to get the most out of your players. And Adam Gase just cannot seem to get that through his skull. He is so stubborn in that it's got to be done his way. It's always got to be done his way. He doesn't get anybody. He doesn't get the players who are a little bit resistant to buy into his way. And so it's just like, all right, well, then you're not going to play. And it's like, okay, well, then who is going to play? Because in this situation, really, who is going to play if it's not Devontae Parker? And again, I like to just make the point that if you are trying to shop him, this is an opportunity for both Devontae Parker to basically audition for other teams if it's not auditioning for keeping his job with the Dolphins and it's a uh, it's an opportunity for the Dolphins to audition Devontae Parker and shop him on the stage especially on a nationally televised game on Thursday night where it's the only game and everybody will be watching so it only makes sense to play him if he's healthy and it seems like he's healthy. So you got to go play him. You, you just have to. They, there's no decision to be made. If he decides to release him or they trade him for something like a six round pick, I just think, you know, this is just another example of Adam Gase being overly stubborn and releasing a player that can help the team because, you know, he just doesn't get along with them personally. And, and it's a disturbing trend. And I know, you know, people that the Gase defenders will come out and they'll say, look, the guys that he's had problems with that he's end up ended up releasing they're they're guys that haven't bought in and have proven that they're not really anything special. But at some point, like these guys are better than the guys that are going to replace them. And you're killing your depth. You have no depth already. So if you've got a talented player, Figure out a way to get them to buy in and play them. If you can't get them to buy in, that's a you problem because it's the third year and you keep having the same issue. I mean, are we going to sit here and we're going to say, well, you know, it's it's year five of the of the Gase regime. And uh, well, Juwan James 
for whatever reason this year is not buying in. But, you know, that's not Adam Gase's fault because Adam Gase didn't draft him. He was drafted under Philbin, you know? Yeah, I, it's it's <laughs> a poor excuse. It's absolutely a poor excuse. Um, so, And you have the point. It is a good idea to play Parker if there's not already a trade locked in because this would be the last chance the Dolphins have to sort of peddle their wares because the trade deadline is Tuesday, October 30th at 4 p.m. Eastern. So this will be the last game that the Dolphins play before the trade deadline hits. So if if they don't have a deal in place for Parker yet, you figure he's got to play, regardless of whether he's 100% or not. I mean, he's certainly in good enough shape to play. It's just, it really does seem like, you know, there's something else going on, but hopefully the Dolphins can get past that and Devontae Parker can see some playing time in this game against Houston because it, it, the way things are going right now, it certainly feels like the Dolphins are going to need Devontae Parker in that game. Let's keep talking about, were there any other, I mean, obviously the the defensive line was less than spectacular. The def, Pretty much all of the defense was was a flop in this game. Um, any other negatives, so to speak, that you want to talk about before we move on to the handful of positives that we have? Yeah, I, I guess I would just kind of also just reiterate uh, the the disappointment from the Dolphins' defensive line and uh, their their pass rush in general. Um, I guess they you know they got some sacks in this game, but uh, you know we really thought coming into this year that they were going to have potentially an elite pass rush and, you know, bolstered by Cam Wake and Robert Quinn. And we just really haven't seen that. We thought, you know, these guys would wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks. And and granted, a team like Detroit, uh, in the situation where they're in the lead and they're able to run the ball and the majority of their passes were, you know, pretty quick releases, not not a lot of, like, deep drops. Uh, you still you want to see more pressure from this from this defensive line, especially since that's what it's the team the defense is designed to be is a defense that gets pressure with the front four. You'd like to see a more consistent pressure from the Dolphins front four, and you just we're not seeing that. Yeah, and I would also add that the lack of run game for the Dolphins in this game was particularly disturbing as well, particularly because. It was like that was Detroit's weakness was their ability to stop the run. And the Dolphins really, I mean, the numbers look pretty good at the end, thanks in part to the fact that Kenyon Drake had a one, had one 54-yard touchdown run. So it looks like an okay day on the ground for the Dolphins. But really, they only ran the ball 16 times. Uh, or maybe, maybe, I mean, between the running backs, they only ran the ball 16 times. And really, they seem to struggle to generate that run game in this in this game, and I think part of that is on the offensive line, which is uh, of course banged up. But the offensive line had performed last week against Chicago, and I guess it was it was not the offensive line was not ready to equal that performance. Yeah, I'm going to come out and say it that last week, last week the Dolphins found out that Brock Osweiler was going to play, was going to start, you know, morning of game day. And it looked to me like last week, the team came out and as a whole looked incredibly inspired. And even though that game did not go all their way for the entirety of the game, the team as a whole, it seemed to galvanize them and everybody kind of played up. And it's it's impossible to get that effort every week where because i mean it's not that they didn't try it's just sometimes for whatever reason something happens that really gets a team fired up and inspired to play even harder than they usually do and they can elevate their level to another notch but you can't do it on a consistent basis great players can play great all the time good players can play great some of the time average players will very infrequently play great, but they can do it from time to time. And I think that that's what happened last week is you got some average players that played above themselves because of the circumstances they that galvanized the team around Brock Osweiler and really elevated their game. 
I did not see that same level of intensity from the Dolphins. And maybe it's an indictment on coaching and maybe it's just who they are. And that last week was an aberration where they came out and they treated last week like it was a must win game, a playoff game. Brock Osweiler was starting and they they were all convinced, hey, we've got to play the game of our lives to beat this Chicago team. And they just couldn't match that same energy as they had last week because, frankly, they're just they're not that great. They can't reach that level on a week in, week out basic basis. That's what I think this is. Yeah, I, I even tweeted out at one point um during the game today that I thought that this week's performance from the Dolphins was probably a lot more representative of who this team actually is as opposed to last week's performance against the Bears, even though the defense really looked the same, uh, at least as far as the second half of that game against the Bears went um, and this game against Detroit. I think this is a little bit closer to who this team is. And speaking of that, we'll, we'll transfer over now to the positives in this game. And I think probably the biggest positive takeaway in this game is that the Dolphins run a perfectly fine offense with Brock Osweiler at the helm. And dare I say, probably a slightly more efficient offense with uh, Brock Osweiler at the helm than they were running with Ryan Tannehill. Osweiler's stats today, 22 of 31 for 239, a pair of touchdowns and a QB rating of 114.9. I don't think you can ask for a whole lot more from Brock Osweiler. He, He did his job. He managed the game. He did what he needed to do. And, uh, you know, I think that that's fine. I mean, and I think had the defense made any kind of plays at all in this game. I mean, we found, we saw that Detroit had the ball nine times and only twice did they not score. Once was a punt on their second possession and once was the very last position of the game when they were kneeling on the ball. So, I mean, the defense really didn't come to play at all today. And granted, part of that might've been that Detroit had a superior game plan, but this offense led by Brock Osweiler did everything in their power to keep the Dolphins in the game. Um, And so I think there are a lot of takes that people are going to have after this game about the Miami Dolphins. And I think probably the least valid is any kind of critique of Brock Osweiler running this offense. I mean, you can, if you want to critique Osweiler for the things that he's not as a quarterback, that's fine. But you know that going in. Brock Osweiler is who Brock Osweiler is. And quite frankly, we have yet to really see bad Brock Osweiler, which we know is certainly mm, possible. Well. I, mean, I mean, yeah, okay. If you want to say that uh, that one interception in the in the, two. The, two those two interceptions last week, I mean, one of them was because Devontae Parker put forth no effort. But the other one, the second interception, the one that was almost returned for a touchdown, was was particularly bad. But when I say bad Brock Osweiler, I mean the kind of Brock Osweiler that just implodes upon himself. Now, it's quite possible we might see that on Thursday in Houston. Stay tuned. But, I mean, for the most part... Brock Brock Osweiler has done exactly what you want and need him to do as the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins filling in for Ryan Tannehill. He's running the offense. He's playing smart. He's attempting to make, to convert on third downs when he's getting the opportunity. Um, You know, I just, I don't think this is, there will be, I'm sure, a time to complain about Brock Osweiler if this week is not the week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Osweiler was fine, and uh, he has done nothing uh, to suggest that he is not the guy going forward if Tannehill is hurt. And frankly, he's done nothing to cool down any talk of a quarterback controversy at this point. uh, if, If he does this another week, and then Ryan Tannehill ends up being healthy, uh, I think you've got a, co- a quarterback controversy on your hands because Osweiler, for the second week in a row, uh, ran the offense well. 
And you can make the argument that this was a very Tannehill-like game. You can make the argument that the last week's game, you know, Tannehill's had games like that. But you can't make the argument that Ryan Tannehill is better than Brock Osweiler right now. Right now, you'd have to look at it and say that Brock Osweiler is at the very least as good as Ryan Tannehill. So if he's healthy, if there's any question marks about Ryan Tannehill's health and uh, Brock Osweiler is going out there and he's moving the ball or he's moving the ball, he's picking up third downs, he's completing passes where he's going to his third or fourth options. Uh, Look, you might just say, Look, we're just going to ride with Osweiler. Um, I do think that Tannehill is probably still a little bit better than Osweiler. There are some things that Tannehill can do that Osweiler can't. I think Tannehill throws a better deep ball. I think Tannehill has more mobility, uh, is a little bit more accurate consistently. But Osweiler, when it comes to the nuances of the position where Tannehill has been subpar since he came into the league. And it's been this whole thing where, oh, well, he didn't play quarterback in college and he's still learning the position and we've had to be patient. And we're in the seventh year and Tannehill is still just not a very savvy quarterback for a guy that's supposed to be a game manager. Brock Osweiler, a much better game manager than Ryan Tannehill. So if they're even close in talent, especially if there's any concern about injury with Tannehill, if he's not 100%, at this point, you just ride with Osweiler. Absolutely. The cerebral assassin, Brock Osweiler. Um, other positives in this game, uh, it was nice to see Danny Amendola get some serious production and score a touchdown. He had six receptions for 84 yards, including that Second touchdown. Second week in a row, a quality game for yeah. Amendola. So Amendola really stepping up, uh, which is great. Uh, it's good to see that sort of veteran leadership out there on the field. Uh, I liked Mike Kosicki getting involved in the game today. Uh, he had three receptions for 44 yards, including a 27-yarder, and Nick O'Leary continuing to to do his thing. So it, it's nice to see these young tight ends uh, performing for the team. I, I have to say another positive for me was Kenyon Drake, I was up and down with him today. He had a he had a big drop while he, uh, when he was um, out as a receiver. Um, granted, the defender made a play on it, but I mean the ball ended up hitting Drake's hands, um, and he really needed to make that catch. And I was pretty upset with him for making that drop. But then the very next play, he bounced back and and turned it into that fifty four yard touchdown run. So Kenyon Drake showing a little bit of bounce back ability. I'm I'm glad to see that. So that that's another positive from this game. Beyond that, I mean, I I was I have to say before Wilson went out with his injury, I was liking the fact that the Dolphins were trying to find creative ways to get him involved that didn't involve this sort of short passing game aside from just doing the screen passes which they knew that Detroit was going to have scouted out. They tried to find other creative ways to get the ball into Wilson's hands. And, uh, you know, before he went down with an injury, it it was looking like it was going to be a strategy the Dolphins tried to exploit. And you have to assume that maybe at some point it would have connected. Unfortunately, uh, Wilson goes down with the injury and, and we don't see, uh, you know, his day ends up being very, very brief. Um, but but I liked those aspects of it. I mean, you're, you're sort of struggling to find positives in in a game like this where there's, I mean, aside from just the loss and the nature of the loss with the defense just really not showing up today, you also have the injuries. So, I mean, the overwhelming takeaways from this are negatives. But, you know, the, the positives, they're there. I mean, you're you're sort of grasping at straws a little bit, trying to to find things to be positive about it. But I think the biggest one is probably Brock and the, those other things that I mentioned. Was there anything else in this game, Brain, that, that was a positive for you? Uh, I think that there were a couple players on the defense. The, the defense played poorly in general, but there were a couple of players on defense that I thought played well. Kiko Alonso every week now is making a big play. Do you think and he's going to get fined for uh, for that elbow to uh, Stafford's head? I don't think that he should because it, in that situation, one, look, Stafford is 
is, you know, he's a runner in that situation. He's doing everything that he can to pick up that first down on a short yardage situation. The other thing is, is that in that kind of situation where it's fourth and inches, fourth and one, whatever you want to call it, your defensive player is going to do whatever he has to do to not give up even any extra inch. And it, it, Look, he so he's just trying to lift him up. You know, maybe the official doesn't see that initial, you know, may, maybe he pushes him back like two inches with that hit, and the official and that ends up giving us the spot that ends up making it a turnover on downs. He was not intentionally trying to hurt Matt Stafford. I do think, though, is that. You're going to look at that. You're going to watch it uh, on instant replay and slow-mo, and you're going to look at it under that lens. And then you're going to go back last year to the game against Baltimore and the hit on Joe Flacco. And the the NFL is probably going to look at it and say, we've got a, a repeated uh, a repeat offender here. We've got to fine him. Um, so I would not be shocked if he gets a fine. Uh, I'd be very surprised, but not necessarily shocked if he even got a suspension because of that aforementioned hit on Joe Flacco last year, which was a huge deal. If, if the it's, it's really, it's what happens in the 24 hour news cycle of the media. If this turns into a thing where come tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, this is talked about ad nauseum, then you better believe the, the NFL is going to, is going to look at it. They're going to say, Kiko Alon, this is a, re- you know, a repeated, uh, sort of behavior from him. And at that point, I wouldn't even be surprised if he sees a, a suspension for it, but I don't think it was a dirty hit. I don't think that the play on Flacco last year was a dirty hit, but these things can go either way, especially when you're looking at him in slow-mo. So I'm not going to be surprised by, uh, or, or shocked, I should say, by any decision handed down from the league. But um, if I had to guess, I'd say probably going to get a fine, even though I don't think he deserved one. Um, And probably not going to get suspended, but I wouldn't be shocked. All right. Well, keep going with your your other positive. You said, obviously, Kiko had a good game. Other positive players. I thought Minka Fitzpatrick had a good game. Yeah, Uh, Minka did okay. Minka did okay. Chased down, made made a couple of tackles. I think he continues to look like you hoped he would look when when the Dolphins drafted him, and he continues to be a bright spot. And considering his age uh, and experience, I think there's a lot there. Um, and uh, I think he, I don't want to ma- just belabor the negatives, but TJ McDonald seems to be every week taking a bad angle or slow on help coverage, and I don't, and I wonder if. Uh, the future here is Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be the strong safety for this team. And if that's the case and Minka Fitzpatrick ends up being like an elite strong safety, then I think he's going a long way towards proving uh, the value of his draft position uh, picked where he was early in the first round. So uh, he continues to look good. Uh, I thought the corners in general, Bobby McCain and uh, and Xavier Howard, while they they weren't great in this game and they didn't make very many impact plays, I thought they held their own. I didn't think that they were uh, overwhelmingly negatives uh, from from those guys or from the secondary in general. I just think the biggest problem was that the they could not stop the run. The linebackers were all out of position, especially Raekwon McMillan, and uh, they just couldn't cover anybody. So it's and and that's nothing new. It's same old song and dance from this team. Uh, it's the same old Dolphins, but whatever. Let's uh, let's right. take a look at what uh, the internet had to say. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Same Old Dolphins. And we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins. We have some comments that uh, we want to share here. Craig Clifton on Facebook says, The Dolphins have maybe four wins in them at best. Changes need to be made. Thursday night will be ugly. I I think I think he has to be saying that the Dolphins have maybe four more wins in them at best because they've already got four wins. And I think there are certainly other games on this schedule that are winnable ones. But yeah, I mean, I would agree that the trajectory right now is is really headed towards that seven and nine 
eight and eight record where, you know, the Dolphins have seemed to be for all of eternity. Um, let's see. Chris Taylor back on Facebook says, I can already see Mike Tannenbaum trading a first round pick to Oakland for Amari Cooper, signing him to a four year inflated deal, then patting himself on the back for making such a great move because, you know, we're one piece away from being a real contender. Would be a very same old Dolphins move. Yeah, a I, very same old Dolphins move. I, I mean, you know, I, there's receiver trouble at the moment, but I can't. I mean, I personally feel like Tannenbaum would get run out of town if he traded a first rounder for Amari Cooper. I mean, based on the fact that they're trading, they're shopping Devontae Parker, and um, Amari Cooper is a receiver in the same vein as Devontae Parker. With with the exception that he had one, you know, like the one really great season, but then otherwise has looked ex- almost exactly the same as Devontae Parker. So if you're getting rid of one guy, if you're going to bring in another Devontae Parker type guy, I would imagine that the kind of guy that you want to bring in is is somebody who's going to be better than Devontae Parker, not not somebody like Amari Cooper who is, you know, sort of on the on a very similar trajectory to. Uh, Devontae Parker at the moment. Continuing with the feedback on Twitter, at Denver FinFan says, this one is on the coaches. Awful on both sides of the ball in the first half. Then the defense collapses completely despite being near fully healthy. Just horrible game planning and preparation. These players deserve better. Hashtag dump Gase. Look, they they looked unprepared on this game, so uh, I, I, I can't disagree with any of that. At Dolphins End Zone says it's just really just sad now. My thoughts are this team is as average as it ever was, and my concerns are that it won't change in my lifetime. I'm sure there are a lot of Dolphin fans who are feeling very similar to that at the moment. Uh at Jay Beans 15 says, I'm all for cleaning house, and I mean a full clean, starting from Mike Tannenbaum and down. If they're going to make a change. That's been the one thing that – well, not the one criticism, but that's been probably the biggest criticism I have of Stephen Ross is that when he wants to make a change, it's like, you know, all right, I'm going to change the coordinator. Then the next year, it's like, all right, well, now I'm going to change the head coach. Okay, the next year, oh, I'm going to change the general manager. And it's never a full clean. And it's always this mixed match uh, trying to have this coach – work with this GM, even though this GM didn't hire this coach and they've got different philosophies. If they're going to make a change, it should absolutely be clean house and, uh, you know, get a GM, GM, choose the coach coach gets his coordinators. I mean, the coach always gets his coordinators, but then you've got a whole regime that's in there together with one singular vision, because I, I feel like we have not had that singular vision with this team since Parcells took over with the triumvirate of Parcells, Ireland, and Sperano, even though you could say that that did not breed the most success, they did have a singular vision and they built a team that you could tell what their identity was. And it didn't work out because they couldn't find the right quarterback. You know, they 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 got Pennington to be their stopgap guy, and, it, and that worked out great. But Chad Henney didn't work out, and Parcells got out of town. That ended up getting you know Tony Sperano fired, and event and eventually Jeff Ireland fired because then they brought in Joe Philbin, and Joe Philbin couldn't get along with any of Jeff Ireland's players, and that and so on and so forth. And now we're in this same situation now where we've got Adam Gase and. Adam Gase is throwing all these other players under the bus who were Joe Philbin's guys or, uh, you know, Jeff Ireland's guys or whatever. Um, so if they're going to make a change, uh, I do think it's clean house. But at this point, look, we, we can make allusions to it every week about the future of Adam Gase, but they're not going to change in the middle of the year and changing in the middle of the year is not really going to be beneficial. So while we could talk about it, you know, every week, you know, week after week after week. Look, we could say the fire gaze, but at the end of the day, we got to let the season play out. Absolutely. At Tonho Prague on Twitter says, some things that I've seen not only from this game, but the season. Team can't afford to start slow every single game. True. 
Bad play calling on critical downs, true. Discipline, way too many flags on third down, true. And injuries are killing this team. That that's The latter is absolutely true. I mean, all, all of that is true. We haven't even talked about the fact that uh, today Adam Gase had some pretty bad play calls again um, on. There was a possession where the Dolphins had themselves on a third and 10 near field goal range. And rather than trying to make a play to, to, to you know, get a little bit closer, they instead ran the ball. And it's just, I don't know. It, the play He's calling, a chicken shit. He's a chicken shit. He, like he, that's, that's I don't a know, fair. For, that's for, a fair for being, assessment for being for being this offensive guru. He he sure has a propensity to not trust his quarterback and just come out with the most conservative, underwhelming play calls on third downs. Uh, it's just it's it's a give up play. Unless it's like do or die time. And then sure enough, in do or die time, you've got Brock Osweiler completing the passes on third and long. So it's just like, well, why not give him the opportunity to do it in the, you know, in the first quarter or the second quarter? It's just it's mind boggling to me that it look an offensive guy is going to go down calling, you know, coaching scared. And that it's just unbelievable to me. Admiral Dolphin has been in touch. At Dolphin underscore Admiral says, if more Dolphins would have channeled their inner Brock, the Finns would have banded together like a band of brothers and won. Also, it's time to move Flipper back into the end zone pool so the next time Marvin Jones jumps into the stands, he will be eaten by an angry porpoise. <laughs> Admiral Yeah, Dolphin. but then you, gotta wor- you just got to worry about Flipper's uh, safety. You know, you don't want him getting kidnapped again. Yeah, that could be, it could lead to a, a bad situation for everybody. And then finally, I, I asked for everybody, as I always do, at Samuel Dolphins on Twitter, I said, tweet us your thoughts, questions, and concerns on today's loss. And Jonathan at Dolphmet responded with one word, defense. And I really don't know that there's a whole lot more to say than that. I think that's a very, that's a very apt response. And I think it's probably the place for us to wrap up the show uh, tonight. So, Brain, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Amplified to Rock. You can follow the show, as we've mentioned, at Same Old Dolphins. Like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins. We are now a part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network, so we hope that you'll go to DolphinsTalk.com and check out everything, all of your Miami Dolphins needs. Uh, You can also download, rate, review, and subscribe to the same old Dolphin show on Apple Podcasts, and we would very much appreciate you leaving us a five-star rating and a positive review. It would do a lot for us to help other people discover this very program. And uh, finally, we are on SoundCloud. Every episode of the show is on SoundCloud, so you can follow us over there as well. That's it for tonight. We will be back in your ears before... The Houston Texans game, I don't know if it's going to be a show where we can get together and, uh, you know, do a traditional Sam Old Dolphin show episode. It might be the brain doing a solo show. It might be me and a special guest. We'll, we're going to try to figure that out here, and we're going to try to get a show recorded uh, to you um, Tuesday evening, um, try to get it to you at the at the latest, try to record Tuesday night so that we could have it to you, uh, you know, for Wednesday. But worst case scenario, maybe we'll record it Wednesday night and release it Thursday morning, which would give you at least all day on Thursday to uh, to to get your Dolphins Texans preview. I can tell you this. I'm not feeling optimistic. I was already not feeling optimistic regardless before this game. Had we been at full strength or at least at, had we got out of the Detroit game injury-free, I was already feeling pretty apprehensive about this game. And quite frankly, uh, today has not done anything at all to help that. So uh, we'll, we'll, at any rate, we'll get to you later this week and we will preview the Dolphins' trip to Houston to take on the Texans, where the Dolphins will either come up with a big win and move their record to 5-3, and three, or 
They will lose and fall back to 500, and it will be the first time this season that they are at the 500 mark. So hopefully the Dolphins will be able to put it together and get themselves a win. But until then, take care of yourselves and each other. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins! Miami's got the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from